This is Paul Sachs. I'm the editor-in-chief of Open Forum Infectious Diseases. And today on our OFID podcast, we're going to discuss Infectious Diseases Fellowship. There are too many spots and there are too few applicants. In 2015, approximately 35% of fellowship spots were unfilled in the match and over 80 programs reported that they had at least one unfilled spot. So with me today to discuss this are two of my ID colleagues, Dr. Wendy Armstrong, Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases at Emory, who chairs the IDSA Task Force for Recruitment to ID, and Dr. Mike Edmund, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the University of Iowa, who has written extensively on this subject in his blog, Controversies in Hospital Infection Prevention. Welcome to both of you, and let me start out with Wendy. Why don't you tell us a bit about the current situation and how things have changed over time? Sure, Paul. We certainly have seen a decline in the number of applicants in the match indicating an interest in infectious disease, and that has played out clearly into a decline in the number of infectious disease applicants matching uh, overall. We've seen that take place over about the last four years. Prior to that, the number of positions filled was relatively stable, but this is also in the face of a rising number of positions offered, such that uh, it's a longer trend where we've seen programs not filling. I will say that we are fortunately continuing to train a remarkably stable number of fellows at the end of the day, but we're clearly very nervous that that will change. So, Mike, any thoughts about how we got in this position and the drivers of this fewer applicants, more open spots, et cetera? Sure, Paul. And it seems to me like there's at least three major reasons why we're seeing um, a decline in the number of internal medicine residents going into infectious diseases. I think the first one that we would all agree on is that we're seeing increasing debt burden of students as they complete medical school and go into residency. And so that factor is becoming a heavy one on their minds. Secondly, we have a lack of salary parity with fields that require less training than being a subspecialist in infectious diseases. And then the third reason is the current generation of medical students and and residents really places more value on work-life balance than we've seen in the past. And to this end, I think the hospitalists offer something uh, that we can't offer, which is more extended periods of time off. So I think when you take those three things together, we are essentially asking people to do more training in order to make less money. And I think for many residents in internal medicine, that's just a non-starter. Wendy, any further thoughts on the cause? I do. Um, In addition to all the things that Mike said that I think are uh, important, we've seen data to suggest that there are other factors as well. We recently concluded a study that looked at the reasons for resident choices for their specialty or subspecialty uh, at the time of graduation. The largest number of individuals who were interested in infectious disease at some point but chose to go into another field actually chose primary care internal medicine rather than hospital medicine. And although salary was one of the important factors that was identified as an influence uh, not to pursue infectious disease, that was only about 20% of individuals. And almost 90-plus percent of individuals said that they thought improving salary was neutral or unlikely to increase the number of individuals choosing ideas as a career. 
it's really important. Again, there's no doubt, and I'm not dismissing that. But I think there's been a number of other changes that have influenced this picture over the last few years. One of the things that I think is important is our change in our educational models. And for people like me who spend a lot of time with medical students and residents, we've seen that. We see less exposure to infectious disease physicians and less understanding of what infectious disease career is. In medical school, we now see organ system-based modules Oftentimes, infectious disease or microbiology is no longer a freestanding module. And at the end of the day, it gets sprinkled throughout cardiology, where you learn about endocarditis, and gastroenterology, where you learn about gastroenteritis. But there's very little cohesive whole and very little really substantive understanding of what this is as a field. Rather, medical students often see this as a, an exercise in memorization. In residency, with the ACGME changes, we've seen many fewer residents have exposure to infectious disease on specific consult rotations. Because hospitalists are often the attendings on inpatient services, we see less exposure to infectious disease physicians. In the past, uh, as we remember, oftentimes subspecialists would actually round on the medicine services, and that's really become something in many places that's of the past. We see less morning report time. We see less educational conferences where there's exposure to infectious disease. And frankly, I talk to a lot of residents who say near the end of year two or in year three, I really didn't understand what this field was about. So again, not dismissing salary, but there are some critical issues with how our trainees are exposed to infectious disease as well that I think are important. So let me push back a bit for both of you. Mike, you know, you mentioned the debt burden and the lack of salary parity and in particular the rise of the hospitals movement, but how bad are ID doctor salaries? We're not talking about radiology or orthopedic surgery levels, but people aren't going to cry us a river for these salaries we're getting. No, I agree. When you look at this, I think the issue is not so much what the actual salary is, but how it compares with other fields. And most importantly, how it doesn't fare well when comparing to less training. If you stay as a general internist, as an ambulist, or as a hospitalist, uh, you're likely to make more money than if you're an infectious disease specialist. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that you're probably going to have more time off as a hospitalist than you do as an infectious disease specialist. So I think people are weighing risks and benefits as they're trying to make this decision. And again, to me, I think it really comes back to the fact that we're saying you need to do more training, but we're going to pay you less. We're going to reward you less for this additional training. And I think that's a calculus that a lot of people really get hung up on. So, Wendy, now I'm going to push back at you. You say that Mm -hmm. there's less exposure to ID doctors and less exposure to ID in medical school. But on the other hand, if you look at the media filled with ID stories all the time, whether it's the emerging diseases like Zika, it's the superbugs, the resistance, if it's the microbiome, you know, go on and on and on. And then, you know, at least uh, anecdotally, it seems that often in academic medical centers, the ID physicians are the sort of super clinicians and they do attract a lot of trainees. So is there really less exposure or how do you know compared to other fields that ID is not as active in education? So I would actually push back also and say that ID I don't think is less active in education because I think that among all of us, we know that oftentimes there are ID educators. But I think that, again, there's a less cohesive image of what it is to be an ID doctor. So yes, we have incredible opportunities with Zika and Ebola and so on in the news. But what does a resident see now? And what they see now is that they need to call ID to get approval for a restricted drug on formulary often. And what they're not seeing is they don't have the opportunity to get out of the hospital and see 
who's actually researching the next Zika virus vaccine, for example. So while all of these things are in the news, how that actually impacts your life as a physician and how that might play into your career is pretty opaque, I think, for many of the residents. Okay, uh, Mike, now your turn. Uh, Help us solve this problem. What do you think we should do? So I think we need to take a look at how we train fellows in infectious diseases, and, and we really need to come up with some new models for training. For one thing, I think we can ask whether fellows who plan to go into private practice really need specific training and research. Can that time be used in a better way, or could we actually shorten the training to maybe a one-year fellowship? Can we look at hybrid training models where perhaps the trainee could uh, be an infectious disease fellow every other month and the alternating months work as a hospitalist? And that would help to increase the salary and probably a lot of people who train in that model may stay on in that model where they work ultimately both as hospitalists and infectious disease specialists and it resolves some of the monetary issues. I also think that we need to market ourselves better and I think this plays into a lot of what Wendy has just said. We need to articulate better what value we add to patient care. I think we know that we add value but I don't think we necessarily translate that well. And then most importantly, I think if we could get better salary parity, a lot of these other things may go away. Yeah, I mean, as far as the parity goes, isn't it true that many hospitalists and primary care physicians are actually given subsidies by these large institutions? Well, certainly the services are often subsidized by either the department or or the hospital, whereas in some cases the infectious disease service is not. They're sort of fending for themselves. One other factor I think that, of course, drives this is the payment model for medical care in this country, which rewards procedures and rewards volume. And neither one of those is really the domain of the ID clinician. Absolutely. So IDSA, full disclosure, co-publishes with Oxford University Press, OFID. But what is the Infectious Disease Society of America doing to address this recruitment gap, Wendy? Tell us about your, your efforts. Before I do that, let me make a plug for the town hall that will be held at ID Week on Friday evening which is an open forum that is available not only for IDSA to talk about some of these issues and answer questions, but for members to bring forth other ideas. It is designed to be an interactive session, and I would love to see a great attendance there. So what is IDSA doing? As part of the task force for recruitment, we've started a number of initiatives. So one, how do we increase reimbursement for ID-related services? which is a complicated problem that is going to require complex solutions. Certainly, there's a lot of advocacy going on with the Cognitive Care Alliance, and Dan McQuillan can speak to this better than I can, with IDSA working to try and advocate to CMS, increasing or reevaluate the compensation in an upward direction for ENM codes and so on. There are efforts to create toolkits for individual ID practitioners or hospitals to use that will allow ID docs to advocate for service lines or for increased remuneration for non-patient care activities like running antimicrobial stewardship programs, infection uh, control programs, OPAT, and so on. And I think it's really important that we as ID docs learn how to advocate for ourselves or to have help advocating to hospitals about, again, the value of ID. There is a contract that has been signed with IDSA and a marketing firm to look at marketing the whole breadth of the specialty. 
There's additionally going to be a task force that's going to look at the gender disparity differences in compensation that were so remarkably highlighted in the recent article in uh, JAMA Internal Medicine. In addition, there are a number of other initiatives that are aimed in the training and recruitment directions. There is a workforce study that is ongoing that will look at the available jobs and a needs assessment. This has been identified as a factor that has led people away from ideas concern about job availability. Let me move on next to ask your predictions for the future. If you fast forward five years, Mike, where do you think we're going to be with ID fellowship training? Well, I think there's going to be fewer ID practitioners uh, because unless something happens relatively quickly, which I don't think will, I think we're going to see a continued decline of trainees going into the field of infectious diseases. The other issue is we're going to have the current generation of infectious disease practitioners retiring, so I think there's going to be uh, a bigger gap. And so I suspect what will happen is other practitioners will start to fill in the void. So I think we'll probably see heightened roles for infectious disease pharmacists, clinical microbiologists, hospitalists will likely take over some of the roles of, for example, antibiotic stewardship. And I think we could envision that at some point we may see a practice model that's more like what you see in some European countries where there really is no formal specialty of infectious diseases, but rather you have various other practitioners who play parts of the roles of what an infectious disease doctor does. Mm, That's not an encouraging (laughs) prognostication. Wendy, what do you think? I'm ever an optimist, and while I think that everything that Mike just described is a threat, I am hopeful that we can be smart and creative and actually not end up in that direction. I think that we do need to make sure that we claim our roles in areas like quality and stewardship and so on. I think there's other places we can expand, and one of those is creating, for example, ID critical care. I think that you know, we talked about combined training in other directions, but I think there are really exciting uh, avenues that could really increase interest in ID. I think, again, marketing us is going to be very, very important. None of us are feeling that we are getting short on work. I haven't talked to a single person who feels that consult volume is down. And so I think there is a need. I just think we need to be a little smarter about demonstrating, again, our value and marketing uh, our skills and claiming those areas that really do need our expertise. And I think we can do that. I'm encouraged by the fact that even with the decline in applicants, we still get many of the top residents from lots of programs. Chief residents apply in ID all the time. And that we have such incredible diversity in our field. And as you mentioned, Wendy, you know, it's not for lack of work. There's plenty of demand for ID consultation still. So I think with emerging infectious diseases and maybe a shift in the payment structure in U.S. healthcare will survive as a specialty. I want to thank both of you for doing a really great job outlining the challenges to ID fellowship. And I want to ask you finally if you have any additional thoughts before we close. Mike? The one thing that we didn't talk about, and I think it is truly a problem, is the phenotype of the infectious disease practitioner. Not to stereotype, but I think in general, the people that go into ID are not the type of people that are going to really actively advocate for themselves. They tend to be the type of people happy to work behind the scenes and not take credit for the work that they do. And But I think ultimately that has come to harm us. 
Very interesting point. Wendy, any other final thoughts? I just say that I, I think it's really important that we continue to be positive about our specialty. And almost everybody I know who's an infectious disease thinks it is really one of the greatest jobs there is and the greatest specialty there is. And we need to convey that excitement and enthusiasm to our younger trainees and our younger faculty, because this really is an amazing way to spend a career and a life. Yeah, nobody ever says it's boring, that's for sure. Well, listen, the two of you, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I've been talking with Dr. Wendy Armstrong, who is Professor of Medicine and Infectious Disease at Emory, and Dr. Mike Edmond, Professor of ID at University of Iowa, on the issue of ID fellowship training and the mismatch between the number of applicants and number of physicians and what we can do about it. Thanks very much today for listening.